0: This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. I was trying to find the right episode for the day right before Halloween, because this is going to obviously air on the 30th, the day before Halloween. And I kept waiting for Zach to write something, but it turns out he hasn't. I guess he had another kid to your life, and then, you know, he gets busy. So you're stuck with me researching and writing for another episode. Hopefully, Zach will have something for the next week, but it's going to be pretty good. This could be... One of, if not the darkest stories that we have ever done on this. The details are terrible. I mean, disgusting. Um, I did a lot of research into this, and I'm not going to lie to you. I think I had trouble sleeping for two or three days. It's pretty dark. And honestly, I kind of had it out of my brain until I pressed record. Now it's all back in there. So lucky for you, this is going to be a different episode. And we're going to take you over to the West Coast. I don't think we've really done anything well we've done west coast with vegas and everything last week but we're gonna stay over there on the west coast we're gonna go to a little place in california multiple places out in california if you can't read or you haven't read the title we're doing a special edition halloween murder episode the toolbox killers there it is Uh, have you ever heard of the toolbox killers i have not oh and you have not read through the notes right correct just brought you in the studio. Just Very loaded busy. this up. Been pretty busy, and uh, all right. I think we should get into this. So happy Halloween, Meg. You too. Even though Halloween is tomorrow, but uh, should we? Should we do the intro? Yes. When? Wait for it. I'm waiting. Wait, wait, wait for it. It's the hardest part. No. <laughs> The Toolbox Killers. Do you think it sounds as bad as it is, Meg? Yeah. Yeah, and it actually is worse than it sounds. There's been movies about this, books, documentaries, uh, you name it. It's featured these. And and to be honest, I hadn't heard of them. And, uh, you know, you haven't as well. For being such a wild story with everything that I have seen since, again, with the movies, the books, and everything. I'm surprised we haven't heard about it. And not the books, mainly. I don't, I just buy them. I don't actually read them. Um, it's pretty wild. So, again, if you haven't heard it, you're just like us. Um, let's give you, I guess, a little bit of a backstory on these guys and then actually talk about the murder that happens on Halloween. I feel like that's a good move to talk about, a murder that actually happened on Halloween on our Halloween episode, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump into this. Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris were just a couple of guys who were up to no good. They started making trouble in many neighborhoods. They killed a bunch of people and everyone was scared. So they ended up in jail in the same state as Bel Air. See what <laughs> I did there? That was nice. Nice yeah. touch. You know, was that a trick or was that a treat? You let us know in the comments. <laughs> All right. Anyways, the toolbox killers are two American serial killers. Yeah, you you don't get you don't get cool raps and rhymes from producer Zach, do you? Well played. Step up your game, Zach. That's how it's done. I dropped the mic, but this is an expensive mic and it's on a stand, so we're not dropping it. And we haven't even done the story yet. <laughs> two box killers were two American serial killers and rapists who committed the kidnapping, rape, torture, and murder of five teenage girls in Southern California over a five month time frame in 1979. The crazy 70s. Wow. <sighs> you got to be pretty grateful you didn't grow up in the 70s. Um... A lot of bad things happen to pretty girls. I think a lot of good things happen, too, though. Name me five. Exactly. Either way, Lawrence... I'm probably saying his name wrong. How would you say that? Lawrence... Bittaker, right? Lawrence. Bittaker. Bittaker. Probably going to be Lawrence in this a lot, but Lawrence Bittaker was described by FBI agents and others as the most disturbing person they have ever profiled. He was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the 40s. Spoiler alert... He went to jail and was actually sentenced to death for the five murders. Norris testified against Lawrence and was sentenced to life in jail. You might be thinking, why were they the toolbox killers? Well, do you have any guesses before you read it, Meg? Like, no. like if you're going to be like, oh, toolbox killers. Well, the majority of the instruments used to torture and murder their victims, such as pliers, ice picks, and sledgehammers, were obviously items that were normally stored inside a toolbox. hmm Box killers. So Lawrence, like many serial killers, didn't have a great childhood. Born as the unwanted child of a couple that put him up for orphanage, adopted by a family that moved a lot. He was a troubled youth stealing stuff, like a lot, all of the time, and he built a criminal record slowly. He was said to even have an IQ of 138, with a bright mind, hated school, dropped out early. I feel like a lot of the really, really smart ones... Somehow use their smart for really bad things. Mm-hmm. I hate to see it. Uh, so he drops out of school, steals a car, does a hit and run, evades arrest, goes to California. Ends up in the California Youth Authority until he is 18 years old. His adoptive parents then disown him. So now he is on his own. I was talking about Norris a little bit. He had another terrible childhood and out of foster care. Um, quite a bit in Colorado. He was neglected. Uh, there, There was a lot of reports that he wasn't given enough food, wasn't even given enough clothing. He was sexually abused and obviously led to several issues later in life. He was beaten by his father at 16 for talking very badly to a female. He then stole his father's car, drove to the Rocky Mountains, where he attempted to commit suicide by injecting pure air into his arm. He also dropped out of school, joined the Navy, and served in the Vietnam War in 1969. Hmm. Both of these guys were in and out of jails in different states for several different crimes throughout the 60s and 70s. Um, Lawrence was mostly a theft. Um, You know, that was was the majority of his crimes, stealing things. And then it escalated, and uh, there was an attempted murder. When a theft actually went wrong, Norris was mostly... Um, arrested for very sexual, violent crimes. Um, and it just kept escalating more and more and more. You're probably thinking, all right, you got a guy from Colorado and guy, you know, that uh, they've been in and out of kind of everywhere. How did they meet? So in 1977, they were at the California Men's Colony. California Men's Colony is a male only state prison that's actually located northwest of the city of San Luis Obispo. Yeah, pretty sure I nailed it, Um, which is obviously in California. Uh, It's along the uh, central California coast, approximately halfway between L.A. and San Francisco. Heard of those places. Mm -hmm. can say those places. Uh, Apparently, they became pretty close when Norris taught him how to make jewelry, of all things. Interesting. Right? Yeah, they bonded over some jewelry. And then uh, Lawrence saved Norris from being attacked by fellow inmates on several occasions. They then, unfortunately, bonded over an interest in sexual violence. There are many disturbing details of how and why they became who they were, but we are going to skip them. I'm going I'm to do you all the favor and skip it. I mean, it's, when I say dark and twisted, it is dark and twisted. Some stuff that Spielberg and uh, many, many producers couldn't come up with, and this shit happened in real life. So Lawrence was released from the California Men's Colony on October 15th, 1978. Got a job, worked pretty hard. He was even known for being a very generous and helpful person in the community often donated money to the Salvation Army. He would buy large amounts of food and wine and would just kind of give them out to homeless people. He would then gain popularity with local teenagers because he was that guy that always had booze and marijuana in a Burbank motel room. Three months after Lawrence was released from the California Men's Colony on January 15th, 1979, Norris was released from prison and moved into his mother's home in um, Redondo Beach. Within one month of his release, He had raped a woman whom he uh, then simply abandoned in a desert. He soon found employment as an electrician in Compton. Um, Shortly thereafter, he received a letter from Lawrence. Late February, the pair met at a hotel and rekindled their plan to kidnap and do nasty, nasty thing to girls. So this is the plan they made in jail? Yeah, they kind of bonded in jail Became even better friends after making jail jewelry. And now that they're out of jail, they decided to get together. And this was already... So he gets out of jail. Commits another rape. And then just leaves this person. And then gets a job. Moves to Cali. And is able to meet up with them. Nothing really comes of it. And I'm sure at the time, because it was the 70s and we've covered in several episodes... A lot of short staff, a lot of crimes, violent crimes, and just all over the country—not just California, but being a, a very big place. Not trying to obviously make excuses, but geez, Louise. Are you looking for a place for all things horror and don't know where to go? Well, you've came to the right place, my friend. We had a Graveyard Club podcast for all your horror needs. Visit us on YouTube and Spotify, and you can follow us over on Instagram at the Graveyard Club Pod. See you there. Ciao. Okay. So in order for the pair to abduct teenage girls, Lawrence decided they would need a van, not a car. So with the final uh, financial assistance from Norris, Lawrence purchases a silver gray 1977 GMC Vandura in February 1979. The vehicle didn't have any windows. You know, it's the type of vehicle that you make fun of for people doing stuff like this. And it's a vehicle that you would never want to get in. Never, you know, probably be offered some candy and stuff. That type of vehicle. Um, again, no windows. On the one side had a large passenger side sliding door. According to Lawrence, when viewing the sliding door, he realized him or Norris could easily pull up to, you know, said girl that they want to real close not even have to open the doors all of the way. And they actually nicknamed this van Murder Mac. Jeez. Yeah. So then from February to June of 1979, they started and uh, to kind of do trial runs, and they picked up over 25 female hitchhikers. Um, from what I've been told, they were just kind of picking them up, doing trial runs, practice runs, not really doing anything to them other than just getting... I guess, comfortable with doing this, but 25 female hitchhikers from February to June of 1979. Hmm. So then June 24th, 1979, the first murder takes place. Uh, They kidnap a 16 year old that was just leaving a church meeting. Uh, The details again, that were released on this are very disturbing, not going to get into them. I don't think it needs to be part of this, but I mean, it's, Just absolutely terrifying, heartbreaking, disgusting. Uh, When the victim was murdered, she was then wrapped in shower curtains, thrown over a steep canyon. um, And apparently their plan was so that the animals would eat her and it would leave absolutely no evidence. (laughs) Two weeks later, another victim is taken an 18-year-old. It escalates. There's more disturbing stuff. Um, As mentioned, things that are often found in the toolbox for... Instruments or whatever you might murder weapons were used. And again, they wrapped the body and tossed off a cliff. (sighs) Yeah. September 3rd. It then happens again. This time, two victims at once. One was 13. One was 15. And they fought back and they fought hard. They were held hostage for two days. The details, the things that happened to them just continued to escalate from the other murders and them fighting back kind of triggered a different part of these disturbing brains and just disgusting. They then tossed their bodies after they were very, very brutally murdered um, over an embankment. So we're up to four within a couple of months. And this brings us to the Halloween murder, which obviously happened on Halloween night in 1979. Sorry to take a little while to get there. I wanted to kind of really build this case. 16-year-old was taken as she stood outside a gas station while she was hitchhiking home from a Halloween party. Apparently, she only accepted the ride because she recognized Lawrence because he was a familiar face at a restaurant where she was a waitress. He would often come in there and just kind of felt safe, you know, because, again, he was what appeared to be a very good community member. He was giving back. He was spending a lot of money. People liked this guy. The next two hours of the last of her life were some of the most cruel stuff that I've ever unfortunately red, but instead of being thrown over a cliff wrapped in a shower curtain, they decided to toss the victim on a random lawn just to see the reaction from the public and the press. The remains were found by a jogger the next morning. In November of 1979, Norris started chatting with an old friend, Joseph Jackson, whom he met again in the California Men's Colony. Norris then tells Jackson everything they had done in the previous five months. So, I mean, at this point, Nobody knows it's them at all. All right. So then Jackson gets a hold of his attorney, tells him um, to call the police and kind of goes over the details and everything. And shockingly, these statements didn't match any reports on file of anybody who had been reported missing. So not only does he tell his friend, the friend tells the attorney, tells the police, and they're just kind of like, ah. You know, it is disturbing, but we don't have anybody missing with those details. Huh. They almost get away with it. But what linked them to the murders was a police report of an incident that these two did when they actually released a victim before they murdered. The victim couldn't identify them until she was presented with photos and finally identifies them. They're still not arrested. So they end up having to put surveillance on them. And then when the, within a few days, they found Norris selling drugs and actually arrested them for violating parole. Then Lawrence gets arrested for possession of drugs, another parole violation. Still not able to arrest them for the murders, though. A poli- um, they, they do the police lineup, and they got away with the police lineup. They were not able to be recognized in the police lineup through this victim. But they get a warrant to search Lawrence's apartment, and then they saw a ton of Polaroid photos of these girls and um, more very disturbing items. Actually, in the van, everything was still in the van. Wow. Yeah. Um. In without getting into too much detail, they actually, obviously, now that with the Polaroids, they took pictures. They started as things escalating, recording things. So, I mean, a lot of the brutal uh, things with instruments and sickness that they did to these poor people was all recorded audio, video, whatever they were able to do, which thankfully the evidence was found and did help with the convictions and putting them away. Um, They ended up obviously serving life in jail. Both of these men actually died of natural causes, In jail, but the aftermath of this case tortured so many people. I mean, from obviously the family members, which goes without saying, but it was the worst case that anyone involved would ever see. The chief investigator of the murders committed suicide at only 39 years old. And in his suicide note, he actually wrote that what they did was so haunting to him that he feared for his own life if they were to be released from jail. And he didn't want to take that risk. That's how disturbing the details are. Uh Wild. And the audio tapes and and everything that they have are actually used from, from what I saw either to this day or they were used for several, several decades at the FBI Academy, which actually trains and desensitizes every agent. Again, the audio tapes from these violent acts train the fbi and actually desensitize them that's how disgusting it is there's like there's no words for this it's unbelievable awful i'm leaving out the details the details i'm not even kidding you the details of what they did to these poor kids is worse than any horror movie that i've watched and i've seen some pretty wild horror movies and like i said i I wish I didn't read them. I legit couldn't sleep for two. remember that I was telling you, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. The details of this were unbelievable. I mean, yeah. So I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to this. I mean, this was a real life Halloween horror. I mean, I'm assuming you don't have follow-up questions because it's, I don't. no. Um, there, it was really hard to find a quote for this. So I decided just to kind of toss this one out there. Never trust anything. That can't, that, uh, let me try that again. Never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. That's from JK Rowling. 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 All right. Sources were obviously Wikipedia, WVNSTV.com, and SueColetta.com, who uh, did a really cool piece on the toolbox killer's true Halloween nightmare. The WVNSTV.com. Um, had a a digital desk of an old article and uh, a bunch of details on the infamous Halloween murders and the Wikipedia page on um, Lawrence and Roy had a ton of information. So thank you to the sources and thank you to everybody for listening to our Halloween episode. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed it. I know that was a, it was a dark and twisted one, but Halloween can be dark and twisted as well. So do you know any of the movies or books are? Um, I don't off the top of my head but um, while we're talking here I can see if I can pull up the, just curious yeah the Wikipedia page on um, on them and again I, I left out the victims names intentionally this time I didn't know right I mean if do you think it, that we should defy? it's not like mm-hmm. they're missing unfortunately you know what I mean like when they're missing investigate like, uh, cases that we did you know what I mean we ended up uh kind of saying that just in case somebody knew something but with them I just it's terrible. I mean, these guys are just sick. Like, I did not want to show you pictures of them. So uh, there was a 2010 documentary film, The Devil and the Death Penalty, which focuses upon the murders committed by Lawrence and Norris, in addition to issues relating to the death penalty appeals process in California. So he was sentenced to death, but uh, actually died of natural causes, from what I remember, before they put him down. There was a bibliography that uh, was written... Um, crime Classification Manual, Standard System for Investigating and Classifying Violent Crimes. Um, the new Encyclopedia of Celi- uh, Serial Killers had that. And Alone with the Devil, Psychopathic Killings That Shocked the World was one. And in television, there was a 90-minute documentary, The Killing of America, features a section devoted to the trial of Lawrence, directed by Sheldon Renan. Yeah, that was released in 1981. Uh, crime Documentary series Arrest in Trial actually has um, a broadcast and episode detailing the murders committed by them. It was initially broadcasted in October of 2000. The Investigation Discovery Channel has broadcast a documentary focusing upon the murders of them as well. The documentary titled Wicked Attraction was broadcasted in 2009. And then The Toolbox Killer commissioned by Peacock is a 90 minute documentary which actually has interviews with um, Lawrence and an FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole was broadcasted in September of 2021 huh. so maybe we'll if you guys want to and see a little bit more sick twisted details and you have peacock check it out again it's the toolbox killer interesting there we go yeah those are those are the ones so all right are you gonna watch that documentary? possible (laughs) possible but either way happy Halloween hopefully your candy bags are filled be safe out there there are a lot of sick and twisted people and obviously we don't want to have to do any more Halloween murders because when you're googling Halloween murders there is a abundance of them out there so be safe and uh, hopefully your treats are much better than your tricks so happy Halloween everybody happy Halloween All right, we'll see you guys next week Take care. Hey, this is Casey Shearer. And this is Ray. Do you like pop culture? We're pretty sure you do. Then come on over and check us out at deluxe edition. Show. You will not be sorry. Or maybe you will be. I don't know.